Hi, I'm Afton. And I'm Anna. And this is Grits, a podcast on the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Join us in reclaiming what it means to be girls raised in the South. Mm-hmm. So let's get gritty. <laughs> Hi. Hello. My mom told me I need to remove, move myself a foot away from the computer and that you need to move yourself a foot closer. Oh, I'm sorry. Am that was I the last thing she said to me. She didn't say I love you. I I drove to Knoxville. And that was the last thing she said to me before I left the house. Well, we always love some constructive feedback. We welcome it, right? I'm all about constructive. In (laughs) fact, I had my biannual review from my boss's boss, and I told her that I don't get enough constructive feedback. I agree. I have said similar things in professional roles of, like, give it to me straight. Like, tell me when I'm doing bad. Tell me when I'm doing good. I love it. I'm like... Yeah, I, I start like frothing that. at the mouth. I'm like, yeah. ooh, yeah. Were you a teacher's pet? No, I wasn't. Okay. And I've told, I've said this on previous episodes, but my parents, whenever anything went wrong, the immediate response was, "What did Afton do?" <laughs> <laughs> Which was true. I was always involved. Uh, okay, so Anna and I started talking about yoga and what we're doing for self care during these this epoch and this. Th- epic time of covid and disaster and yeah afton actually asked me if i was doing any kind of exercise which at this point we've gone on long enough for me to do a couch to 5k and get back oh, out yeah. of shape already so, so uh, i asked anna what she what she had been doing if anything and that wasn't a, a baiting question uh to which she replied oh yeah i um i watched yoga and started crying wait t- t- i d- uh, so like i do yoga for specific things so like to combat the effects of looking at my phone or like um sitting in a chair all day and sometimes i do some like so you'll so you'll go into and, youtube like, and type chair yoga, yoga for yeah yoga for text neck or yoga for like <laughs> sitting in a chair all day <laughs> <laughs> you know it's true and you know so I I already have some instruments like in my office like I have a laptop stand and I have um a wrist rest and I have a mouse and a separate keyboard and like what? I I don't like feeling like weird or like um knotted up like I like to feel really loosey-goosey and flexible and all that kind of stuff so I like gentle yoga I haven't really been working out or feeling like the need to work out so I've been doing like yoga specifically for stress release and there's certain things that you do it's more meditative you keep your eyes closed most of the time and like it releases something and so like oftentimes I'll cry or like (laughs) And the other day I did a stress yoga that was like, or stress relief yoga that was um, short. I mean, it was like 20 minutes or something. I was so sore the next day. There wasn't even a flow. Like, there's no flow. There's no, like, and are you Are you, are you just sitting in a chair crying and calling it <laughs> yoga? Because I have questions. Uh, pretty much. Um, <laughs> there's a little There's a little bit of movement. There's some planks involved. There's a lot of stretching. <laughs> Wow. Okay. That's as far as I'm getting with um, exercise, but tell us a little bit about your. Well, my yoga, yoga studio shut down for two weeks because of COVID, and it was being you know it's a it's a it's a very small small scale yoga studio. So, and we all know each other, and we were, you know, they were part of my COVID pod. So I took the plunge and core power, which is very corporate bastardized yoga. Which side note, did I send you the article about QAnon and yoga? No. The intersection between Q, the QAnon movement and wait, yoga. Wait, wait, wait. Do they are they for it or against it? Do they think there are there are there are like white women within yoga within the yoga movement, like in LA and New York, that are deeply, deep, deep, deep into QAnon. Mm. Yeah. Anyways, fascinating read. We'll drop it in the um, links. So I started going to Core Power, which is heated, and it's an hour, and I can do it. And I, I will say, I've I've said this again and again, it has kept me from killing people this cycle. So <laughs> <laughs> in all seriousness, um, yeah, it's, it's an hour of stress relief that I would probably spend yelling at someone. So I feel like it's been highly beneficial, and I don't care what anyone says. You seem peaceful this do election I? cycle. You do. You seem focused, as always, but... Um, I don't know. Are you feeling hopeful, or is it more so that you're that you're um, more balanced? I do feel more balanced, and I'm I'm really grateful. I think as women, 
like very professional, professionally driven women that we take on a lot of responsibility and we are not good about stating boundaries or saying no. Right. And so in 2018, as you all know, I, I work in politics and I was spending 40 hours a week canvassing. I was saying yes to almost everything that was being asked of me. And as y'all know, I had a nervous breakdown. And I think I have reached a threshold of, I, I was very particular. So just to give you an example, in my GOTV events that I host, and for example, like text banks or phone banks, I looked at the calendar. And I was like, oh, I, I have two hours here. You know, I'll go ahead and schedule a phone bank. And I stopped myself and I said, you know what? What is going to give me a sense of purpose? And I'm going to stop and I'm going to go ahead and schedule yoga during each of these days, right? And it really, like, it has totally changed my temperament, my outlook. And even today, as I said, I had my biannual review with my boss. And she, and she said, you've just, you have really just been so positive and upbeat. And, you know, it's been, it, the residual effect has, has been felt across the department. And so anyway, so it was, I just, yeah, I feel, I feel much better. And I, and I'm very grateful. And I, I do feel, once again, it's a, it's a privilege to be able to do yoga, to practice yoga every day. But for me, I have, I have to do it for my mental health. Otherwise I would, I would be more of a chaos Muppet and a hot mess than I am usually. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I admire the way you're handling everything and not that there is you don't have to let go of what's at risk, like mm. you know, like what we're seeing with Supreme Court. It's obviously been a hard week for a lot of people, but that is still true, and you still acknowledge that. And it's not like the power of positive thinking, like um, you know, you're or not you're Nexium. Not, as I'm, yeah. for those of you, <laughs> oof, I've been watching the documentary on HBO. It's fantastic, by the way, from the cult Nexium. But continue. Yeah. So between that and like. Um, I was listening to a podcast about the book American Carnage, where he was talking about Donald Trump being really into positive thinking. And Really? Wait, it, can you say a little more? Um, from what I can remember, I just listened to this while I'm, like, cleaning and doing other things. But um, from what I can remember, it you know, they were talking about the phenomenon of Donald Trump um, not really being— he has really strongly held beliefs, but they're not necessarily ideological. Mm. They're more so his um, visceral reactions to things, particularly like in culture. Like he's like people of color, bad. I don't want them here. <laughs> like, and like he, he just ha like taxes bad. I don't want them. Like he kind of like has these um, cranky old white man kind of reactions to things. Right. And when he sees anything, this is why he's like particularly against the media, like he sees things that don't fit into his um, view of himself and his, um, you know, positive ethos that he kind of has that that he just totally dismisses it. And it bothers him in a way that's like a deeper bother. Like it's almost like a like. He's like, get off my lawn. Like, you know, like, I don't know. So they were saying that he has a long history of being into the power of positive thinking. And then that also affects how he views people with struggles. Like he viewed his brother with his alcoholism and like just get over it or yeah. Just okay. like you're, you, you can uh, walk yourself out of this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like anyone who wants anything bigger, better, or not bad, like should get out of poverty, should, <laughs> should not have a drug addiction. Like things like that. So, um, that that is something that has influenced him and in his, in his thinking. Um, obviously he has many other pathos and narcissism and whatever he has going on with him that, that adds to the complexity of like who a person is, but apparently he's obsessed with the power of positive thinking. And I want to note that you're not coming from that angle because you are doing the work, you're grounded in reality, you're, um, totally aware of what's at risk you're totally aware of what's going on and and um the pain and the hurt that other people are feeling so you're not just like putting yourself in a bubble to protect yourself but you're finding a way to get through it and like maintaining your mental health which i think is cool well, thank you anna mm -hmm. and i was just thinking maybe donald trump's problem is that he hasn't googled yoga for stress relief <laughs> and had a good sob fest he needs to have um a strong cry while in a plank <laughs> and also yeah adderall withdrawal but something anna and i and, and i know a lot of you i think you know the more pertinent political topics that we talk about like the supreme court of the united states i think but a lot of you have said that you enjoy our content when we're just you know, shooting the shit to the <laughs> vernacular uh, back and forth. But, um, you know, one thing that I think Anna and I wanted to touch upon 
we we do work in politics, obviously me very much so, but but working in the nonprofit world in a state like Tennessee, we both do. And I think I've heard from a lot of you that you feel guilty for not doing enough. And I just I think, Anna, if you could unpack that a little for a lot of our female listeners that, you know, may work in the corporate world or doing as much as they can by just even voting um, and how to maybe find that inner, find the inner yogi in this moment. Yeah, I'm not sure that I have great answers, but my thought, I, I kind of had this feeling after our last one where we were like, you know, performative politics, sure, okay, whatever, like... Yeah, which a lot of you did not like, because <laughs> uh, it was triggering. But it, a moment of introspection that helped you grow. That's what the way I look at it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a perspective to be open to, for sure. But um, I kind of felt a little bit bad after that, because I was like, well, you know, a lot of people are coming to this in totally different ways. And I mm. hope that I, I try to make space to acknowledge people that you know, may have even voted for Donald Trump last time, which is very upsetting to me for a lot of reasons. But at the same time, like, what a journey to go on from supporting Donald Trump to not voting for him or for voting for Biden. I think that is such a journey and, and something to be applauded, even though we can, you know, sometimes maybe sound or maybe... You know, sometimes I can seem a little bit dismissive of that or or to say, like, to put a Biden sign in your yard. And I was that's funny you bring that up because it's something that, you know, I look at my friends that are posting on Instagram. They would have never done that before because politics are so are complicated and uncomfortable for their family, for example. But they're posting on Instagram about where they're taking a stand for them. That's a really big deal. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, so we're, I, like, yeah, we don't we're have to... all on our own journey. And, and I think there's some really good recent coverage about suburban women who have been making um, moves into the organizing space. And if the fact I mean, if you're just talking about it on a text thread or on a in a Facebook group or in your book club, like making a little comment of like, you know, uh, yeah, I, Trump's not my favorite or any, even that is like such a big step for some people. So I think everyone's on their own journey and just acknowledging that, like, even voting is great and wonderful and needed. <laughs> and I do think, like, especially in your if you're in a state like Texas or Georgia, I mean, that if, mm-hmm. if that is all you're able to do, that is enough, right? Like, yeah. we're seeing massive turnout. And to all my friends in Austin, I don't know if you saw this on, on my Instagram, but um, Travis County, which is where Austin mm-hmm. is located, it was like 95% of eligible voters were registered. I mean, That's that is, awesome. it's like, what? And I remember in graduate school, this would have been 2014, 2014. While I was at graduate school at UT Austin, it was very clear that even then Texas was a, a purple state. And I think people, it was just this common perception nationally that Texas was very red because they had Abbott, who's the governor, who is, you know, Trump reincarnate, as well as John Cornyn, who's up for re-election against MJ Hager. Uh, And this notion that there was, that Texas wasn't red. It wasn't red. Mm -hmm. And so just today, there was a poll release that moved Texas from a lean R, which means lean Republican, politico speak, to a toss-up. And I think it's such a testament to all the organizing by organizations such as Jolt uh, in in Texas that my friend's the organizing director of, um, and all of their work registering voters. And and what is also one of the most difficult states to register voters in the country. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, have seen the more liberal cities, right? So like Austin, Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, the border, border cities, um, El Paso with bit better but i i think like texas is super fascinating uh for a lot of reasons particularly like the that they have the population centers are increasingly blue and it and because of gerrymandering and other reasons like we think of texas as red because we're thinking of the of the less populated areas but the vast majority of the texas population is in liberal centers yeah they don't have as much political representation and right. um I, yeah so i i do think it's like um you know kind of a kind of a perfect example of all the things that are happening and especially when you've got uh red leaders right so like 
and that's and that's all the, that's the mouthpiece of the state, right? Yeah. It's like in Tennessee, everyone thinks everyone Tennessee is represented by Marsha Blackburn, who has become. Oh my God! Did you see today what happened with Google? Where she said, "Didn't you fire that per- or you should have fired that person?" Oh I just don't think that talked bad about me. And here's what's embarrassing, Anna. I'm, you know, I'm secretly on Reddit, and it's, it's why is that secret? <laughs> Reddit seems like a rabbit hole that I just don't want to yeah. engage in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's embarrassing because that's what people think. Like nationally, Marsha Blackburn is renowned for renowned for. Her, her puppetry, her Trump, her Trump puppetry, and it's embarrassing because they think that's what Tennessee, Tennessee elected her, and therefore that is that is the entire state of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. It's it's so embarrassing. So when you have in and so for example, like you look at the Senate map this cycle with Lindsey Graham in South Carolina, Cory Gardner in Colorado, uh, McConnell in Kentucky, like these people who have the most power in the country besides the president and the Supreme Court, become the mouthpieces for these states, and they're really not. Representative of the of their constituents, they're really not, yeah. and because of voter suppression, because of the way that they've been able to carve out power within their state and nationally, so that they're reelected continuously, and the way and they have created pathways for money to flow politically, nationally and statewide. It's like no wonder they're still in power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I listened to a series um, on Embedded about Mitch McConnell. Ooh, it's good. Yeah, it's good. I highly it's recommend good. it. Um, and that, I've just now been fascinated. He's a person that I really did not think much about. Sorry, I know you spend a lot of time thinking. I dream <laughs> thinking about, about him. <laughs> I, I'm like, you know, when, when middle schoolers are like, like you write your first name and your lover's name, I'm like, I will take a, I will unsee Mitch McConnell. <laughs> I will unsee. Yeah, with like a little, a little smiley face and a heart and like a Lisa Frank sticker. <laughs> <laughs> he really is such a fascinating character. Oh my God, yeah. And... I just listened, I forget who it was, there was a reporter that basically said, like, they can take, you know, people in Congress are a rare breed, Um, it's a specific type of person, and they can fully convince themselves of rhetorical arguments that, and not stick to them, and so they can be, seem genuine in person and say, I truly believe this is, you know, Lindsey Graham, I, you know, on Merrick Garland, like you could hold this against me when we, when it comes oh, right. up and, you then, see and the then flipping and then yeah, flipping. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they can genuinely be just totally committed to what they're saying and, um, and, and in seem principled and competent and sincere and all this kind of stuff. And even though they're changing, right. But, but that the reporter said that Mitch McConnell was the only person that they've met in Congress that they did not believe a word that he said. He did, They did not believe that anything came from any type of sincerity or even convincing yourself or self-delusion or anything, that he was a cold, hard, calculating person. And, you know, that podcast will kind of give you some ins and outs of, like, he doesn't really stick to an ideology. He just tries to get money back to Kentucky so that people like him there. And maybe that's, like, you know... I guess that worked, and that used to be kind of really the norm. But that, like but that only goes so far. And so yeah. McConnell, and here, and here's the thing: in t- in Kentucky, I really get it. Right, you have an incredibly poor state, and if you believe that your senator, in some way, there is some like facade of power that you can that you can cling on to, right? In your po- in your poor Eastern Kentucky town, that you have some. You have some connection to power in a way that you will never feel because Mitch McConnell is your senator. That's very real. That's very real. And he is very powerful. And he is very powerful, right? But he's not necessarily voting in the ways that are pushing the things that... But he hands out checks. Like, he 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 went around Kentucky, Kentucky and handed out COVID checks, right? Like, through the CARES Act to these municipal, small, rural, municipal towns. Mm -hmm. Here's a check for $10 million for your, you know, to, to... revitalize your your waterway is whatever and i i've heard you know he does treat kentucky very well as far as like he does find a way to sneak (laughs) not that he was sneaking stuff into the cares act specifically i mean he does yeah he brings money back he brings money back in like really big ways that rural as i said he's done stuff for the colleges he's done stuff for infrastructure that other states don't get because he is in power so like that's definitely well i think i've i don't know if i've said this but he I think I've said this on a previous episode. 
but just a, like a really nuanced a nuanced piece of information about Mitch McConnell that I just find um, he has brought home he he has donated tons of money to the school for the was it the school for the blind or the school for the deaf school for the blind in Kentucky Eastern Kentucky and he. You know, he had polio as a kid, right? So he's he had a disability. And what I think is even, like, his his understanding of the coalition that he has built, which is an extremely diverse coalition compared to, like, our grassroots coalitions, right? We want it to be really diverse. Mitch McConnell has done that on the right. Mm-hmm. And it, it's so deep that he has someone who reads Braille within in his office, that works in his office. Mm-hmm. Like, think about that. Mm-hmm. He has some of the best social workers and caseworkers in the state of Kentucky that if your grandmother loses Social Security, Mitch McConnell will fight for you. And I'll never forget canvassing for, for Justin Canoe was running in the 7th Congressional District in Tennessee, but about Marsha Blackburn before she ran for Senate. And people would be like, oh, Marsha, you know, Marsha got me disability. And people remember these microtransactions that they had with these people, and they will be forever indebted to them. Forever. Mm-hmm. And I saw that I've seen that canvassing in Kentucky. I've seen that canvassing in Tennessee mm-hmm. for these really, really terrible people. Yeah, that ruin that ruin our country for everyone else. <laughs> yeah, the Senate has a lot of has issues. a lot of power and a lot of issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Anna and I thought about what would be helpful for all the listeners as this will be, be this episode will be released on Saturday, and. I guess it's, you know, one is what the election could look like. Uh, so at this moment in time, I think Biden has a very good chance of winning. I think the organizing in key states such as Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Florida, I, I'm the returns we are seeing in early voting would intimate that Biden could win. What that makes me nervous you're looking that you at me say weird. that. No, I just, like, I think, at least for me, I am just holding it very, very, very loosely. And I saw an art, uh, just a headline yesterday that said um, Trump was up in 9 out of 12, or he was rising in 9 out of 12 swing states, as opposed to maybe, I guess people have already forgot the um, debate last week. <laughs> No one watches the debates no, besides people know, who are already voting and have made up their minds. That's there, true. there are no swing voters watching those debates. Right, right. But that maybe there was energy around something that Trump did that that mobilized people in his support that were supporting him um, in those states. Like, I, I, yeah, I definitely don't think it was anything like Biden said specifically in the debate, but. I was out there, and as were you, like, out of the debate, and the Trump energy is just... Oh, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that. (sighs) Okay. So, the final debate was at Belmont University in Nashville, and Trump and Biden Mm -hmm. both attended, obviously. Um, It was a circus. It was... I so I was there as an I am an issue advocate. I am a healthcare voter. Um, That is... Is that what your card says when you whip it out when people ask what you are? Yeah. Healthcare voter. Yeah. So I was out there trying to do some press outreach um, and just kind of represent for healthcare voters, I guess. Um, But there are obviously a lot of partisan people out there. You were out there with the... um, The Be Better Belmont campaign. Yeah. yeah. Who we've interviewed on a previous episode. Yeah. So talking about... um, Divesting from private prisons. Yeah. And core civic and all of that. Yeah. so there were issue advocates. Uh, the biggest group that I saw um, were, you know, the unborn Black Lives Matter crowd. Ooh. Okay. I really need help understanding this because I had to walk away. I just said, I don't have time to engage with you. But what the anti-abortion activists have co-opted are Black Lives Matter language. Yeah, did you, it was did you everywhere. Engage with it was literally everywhere. I had a um, the one thing I said to one person was, "I'll pray for you." <laughs> but, ooh, that's a good ooh, response. Burn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oof, I need it. Um, but he was this man was belligerently engaging one of my colleagues and um, just kept trying to just argue. Just was there to argue, right? Like that was the whole purpose. 
And, you know, was talking with healthcare, you should be concerned about this, you know, yada, yada, yada. And, um, you know, we don't engage really on abortion in our issue advocacy. Like we believe in um, women, women having access to family planning services. And, uh, you know, we definitely are supportive of, um, and know the importance of a child having access to what they need to thrive. Um, so, you know, we are sensitive to issues of child welfare and, and, um, of family planning for, for women. Right. So, I mean, we weren't as an organization, there to engage in abortion fights with some belligerent man with a graphic, gross. I mean, for those of you listening, side. they had giant posters created of fetuses, and, and we're just just casually hanging out yeah, on the totally graphic. This guy's main argument was that he was a foster parent, and that he would take care of all the black children. This is a white man. He would take care of all the black children um, that would otherwise, um, you know, before before being born um be terminated so we're like okay you got all of them cool (laughs) we'll get you a we'll get you a a million passenger van (laughs) um but no i mean it's it's upsetting to be yelled at right um especially because it was yelling at a bunch of young women and it's just i was just shocked that's why i was like i will legitimately pray for you like I'm i was worried also, about see, you. and that's a, that's interesting that you responded with religious language right and mm-hmm. i i felt like i was totally unprepared to combat to rebuke the argument that they were making in terms of black lives matter and like they were really like they were trying they were co-opting left language to make their point about abortion mm-hmm. and i was wo- i was woefully unprepared for it to handle it Anyways, I think yeah, or you could say. I mean, I think you could very strongly say black moms' lives matter. Okay, let's talk about Medicaid expansion, <laughs> and then they don't want to. I mean, it's the same. It's the yeah. same religious group that doesn't that that do not believe we should expand to Medicaid in the state of Tennessee to provide health insurance to low income families, but instead we should go to Africa or Haiti and save black babies. Yeah, it's that same logic. Am I wrong? Yeah, I think it's just it's a, like this it's like this micro white savior complex. But it's it's spiteful. Like there's something to it Ooh, that does yeah. it is is sharp on the edges. We're not talking about I, I think there's equally harmful things in like Bethany Christian services, like the in in the um clinics and the adoption agencies that perpetuate some of these white savior mm, myths. Mm. And so I, I um I read this book years ago, but it's really stuck with me. I think it's called The Child Catchers, and it's about Christianity and adoption. It is. It will blow your mind. Like, it totally changed my mind. Like, What did you learn? Basically, that there are almost no true, by definition, orphans in the world. And the numbers are made up. There's a So there's a whole entire industry that is created where... White people go into low-income communities and basically recruit families to send their kids to these areas. And they say it's like school, and they feed the kid, and they school the kid, but they're really adopting them out to American families. And oftentimes, the parents aren't really aware of what's going on. They think they're like, you know, bigger families in rural communities, and they say, oh, you know, I'm going to send a kid or two kids to this um, American school. And I'm using quotation marks because it's, I mean, it is a, it's an orphanage. And, and so then Americans come in and they're like, I'm going to this orphanage. It's not orphan. They're not orphans. <laughs> they're like, there's oftentimes not clear communication with the families that the, that the kids are coming from. And, and several countries have shut down adoptions from America because of all this right, going on. Right. And, and then there's a big like black market kind of for it. And a lot of money changes hands and it, it, um, promotes like bad behavior in this arena, um, where they are looking for children to then s- basically sell to Americans. Wow. Um, and then it's not, um, and I'm like totally pro adoption, definitely open to it personally. Um, open to foster, fostering definitely think that family, um, keeping a family preserved is the best option for everyone involved. Um, but I, I am open to being in that space, maybe even just respite care or something like that. Like I, I truly believe, um, there's a benefit to foster care and adoption. So it's not like I'm wholesale, like 
that's the, this is the worst thing ever because I, I truly believe it can be beautiful, especially like in a family. Yeah. Like if you've got someone struggling in your family and you adopt a No, child, I've but, seen a lot of adoption coercion too. Yeah, especially yeah. in like poor white families. Yeah, anyways. This was mainly about international adoption, but at the same time they also had some domestic and it was almost all focused on like the intersection of religion, particularly some more fundamentalist or evangelical. Which, you um, know, did you have you seen Amy Coney Barrett's family? Yeah. She's adopted two black kids. No, I know. <laughs> and so um, I highly recommend Child Catchers, I, I believe is the name. But um, what are we going on the stage? I, I know. Adoption? <laughs> okay, mainly, mainly talking about this guy is sitting there just heck. Oh, yeah. So I'm saying there is, there is this uh, more palatable, I guess, compassionate white saviorism that is still harmful right but this guy is like not like i'm like oh my god i need to get this foster kids out of his house like who is this guy like Ah, why is he doing this like that he spends his nights with this graphic like sign that shows he has no comprehension of what abortion actually is and making it such a attaching a morality to it that is i wouldn't say hypocritical but like I don't know how to explain it, but is is so I have a complicated relationship with morality. I don't know if this is what we need to talk about in this <laughs> in this podcast. But Let's see, uh the intersection between politics and morality. Uh yeah, it's it's there. It it is almost always like what I come back to in my like um conflict with with certain ideas or certain concepts of like it's usually someone else saying this is the only right choice or this is the moral yeah. choice and me being like that's not the arena of of politics because the fact that he was there showed me that he was trying to make a point and he wasn't within the Trump crowd so you know he's clearly coming from a political angle i guess is what i'll say right but I just can't believe that no. that folks spend their time outside. I'm, I'm just like, what a waste of time. Like, I think one of my responses to the to the the activist standing on the street was like, don't you have better things to do? Anyways, I think my favorite snapshot of the Belmont debate. I'm sure you saw this on the corner, but it was <laughs> it was a gentleman. Clearly had taken some type of drug like ecstasy, and he was he had his shirt off, and he was just rolling and like. <laughs> And he was waving a "Don't Tread on Me" flag. Didn't, did you see him? I actually didn't. I did Are you see, serious? I saw a girl twerking with an abortion sign. She had one of the huge ones, like nine foot. She was, and tw- she had she had booty shorts on. <laughs> it was kind of okay, hot. It was kind of hot. It was hot. It was hot. Um, she had like jean shorts on and she had the sign like this. I mean, you can't see me. She I'm was ugly. using her sign like a pole. And was, had her tongue out and was legitimately, like, twerking, like, hard with her butt cheeks hanging out. Holding, she, a, holding a and poster it had of a fetus? A, it had a fetus on her sign. <sighs> I don't know if she was just trying to get people to look what it was, but that was the dancing that I saw. I did not see the guy um, okay, but at the, the best club part, with but, the don't try to... <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was, like, he was at, what is the EDM, Electric Daisy Music Festival? Like, okay. he was living his... Whatever life that's called, clearly I have no idea because you know what I'm there's talking a, there's about. There's a word for there's it. There's a word for it. Yeah. Um, and next to him was this little gray-haired lady <laughs> trying to push out the same moves with her Joe Biden. It was like gritty for Joe Biden. <laughs> like I should have taken a picture, but she was trying to out dance him. And like mm-hmm. obviously he was on drugs, so she couldn't compete. But he was, she was like, you know, like trying to get her elbows up over her shoulder. The honkers were the ones that pissed me off the most because Did it you would see? be like Tina with her like French manicure and her like in <laughs> her like Ford Explorer and she's like honk honk like to the Trump voters like and I'm like F you like at least they're out Did here you? all getting COVID. Did you see the Escalade? Did you see the Escalade with the flag as Trump as Rambo? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there were there were a couple Biden or anti Trump. But it's like cards, the aesthetic like, of like <laughs> why, like, why would you ever put that on your car? 
I don't understand Trump as people. Rambo on a flag that you have a you have a flagpole well, within the, your the, car. There's in your, all the ones your... of him as like a um, professional wrestler too. <laughs> <laughs> in case so anyone weird. hasn't heard, he is an old obese man. <laughs> <laughs> he can't he can't drink a glass of water without two hands. <laughs> oh. oh, he's not a he's not Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Oh, my God. For those of you in Nashville, clearly you did not miss out, okay? Oh, man. This is how we spend our time. <laughs> sorry. It was just, it was the most, like, I just remember standing on the corner being like, this is, like, Childish Campino, this is America. Like, <laughs> oh, uh, wait, I just, I have to tell this one last anecdote. Mm-hmm. There was a British journalist that was interviewing people. He didn't interview us, but he walked by. And I said, it's kind of like Brexit, huh? Like, not knowing anything, you know, not knowing anything about, like, the political, you know, organizing behind Brexit. I was like, kind of like Brexit, huh? He's like, oh, no, honey, no, darling. We we weren't that passionate, and then it all fell apart. <laughs> <laughs> I cackled. If anything, we are both passionate and lazy at the same time. <laughs> and, yeah, it will all fall apart, so. And it will all fall apart. Okay, so anyways, uh, just shout out to my friends in Texas. I'm really, really proud. It's it's just, I spent almost a decade of my life in Texas, and it's incredibly rewarding and humbling to see all the work being done and all the organizing efforts paying off in, in just, in, 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 in one of, if not the most difficult state to register voters and um you've overcome voter suppression in ways that I, I will never understand and i'm just i'm incredibly grateful for all my all my peeps in in texas that have voted and are holding it down and um texas will flip blue i did hear a rumor and I, I don't know if you are able to corroborate this but that uh should texas go for joe biden should biden win texas that the count will be over and the night will be called have you heard that? No, I haven't. Um, I would... The thing I keep hearing, which just, like, totally pisses me off, is that he's going to have to win, like, so overwhelmingly. Like, and so, like, winning Texas would be, like... Well, there's the... Well, obviously there's the Electoral College, win. but then the popular vote. So I've heard two things. Right. One is, like, in, the terms, in terms of the Electoral College, if Biden wins Texas, it's over, right? right. And I think if he wins Florida... It will be a turning point, but if it's Texas and maybe a few other states that are off our radar, he's done with the Electoral College, right? Right. Popular vote, I've also heard that if he wins, if, if there's a 7 million threshold, which I don't know how, how much, how, how, by how many did Hillary Clinton win the popular vote? Was it two, three? Let me look it up. Yeah. Look it up. Look it up. Uh, I know it came down. Wasn't the number like eighty thousand in three states or whatever for the electoral college um, for her to lose? Like yeah, I mean, eighty thousand votes. It's like so close, but um, I think three million because uh, I just listened to a deep dive on um, the two thousand election and Al Gore lost by, um, or it came down to he he won the popular vote by about 500,000 votes. Hillary Clinton received 3 million more votes yeah. than the popular vote. So yeah. now officially with Amy Coney Barrett, we have more the majority of justices on the Supreme Court were appointed by um presidents who lost the popular vote. Democracy which, which is people. just like it's such a it's <laughs> it's just it's it's it just highlights our the problems with our system, right? Like if you think our democracy isn't failing, there you go. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of like pro democracy reforms that people are talking about. Well, indivisible, about. and that like my organization, like I'm, I am incredibly excited if we have a blue trifecta. So, a few a few things I want to note for those of you listening. One is that I feel good about Biden winning. I feel good about Biden winning. I'm going to say that again, and again until I believe it myself and internalize it, and Anna Walton believes it. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, I feel good about Biden winning. The Senate map is much more difficult, but uh, in recent weeks, we have seen an uptick in, for example, Alaska wasn't in play. Now it's in play. Montana's in play. Um, 
Black voters in southern states are showing up. And we, I mean, the races in North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, um, just a shout out to all of the progressive organizing in the southern states. Like, it is going to pay off. And if if we win the Senate, it'll be because of the southern states. Mm -hmm. Um, So if we have a blue trifecta, which is really exciting, we can pass major, major reforms like H.R. 1, which is a which is the most comprehensive voting rights package since the Voting Rights Act. Which will include, you know, eliminating the filibuster, packing the courts, making sure, you know, that Election Day is a federal holiday. Um, and it's like, and there was just, like, we had a call on Tuesday, and I was, I, 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 you know, more so than my chaos mup itself, I was much more giddy and thinking of, like, all of the potential and possibilities mm-hmm. if, if we do this, right? And Democrats are always like, oh, well, it's not playing by the rules if we do this. And it's like, Republicans have never played by the rules. Yeah. You know, with the Supreme Court, for example, like, we're going to pack the courts. Fuck yeah, we're going to pack the courts. Mitch McConnell did all of, like, you you stalled a nomination of Merrick Garland, right? Like, it's just, like, this playing by the rules, and here you have, you have popularly elected a Senate that agrees with you, a president that agrees with you, a House of Representatives that you have been able to maintain and build upon that all agree with you, and you're not going to pass these major reforms? If they do, it's going to be, like, the most, like, timid. Well, you see, like, how the Affordable Care Act was, But that's right? where, like, like, groups like mine come in, right? right? right. Like, it's like, we're not going to... It's gonna... be like, we're so sorry we have power. Well, like, Joe <laughs> Biden, for example, with COVID, already talking about austerity measures. And it's like, you shouldn't be talking about austerity. Like, no one, no one wants... Like, we've been living that hellscape for a decade. Well, that's what happens is, like, you know, historically, I guess... I don't know how far back the pattern goes, but I know for sure Clinton and Obama of like the cleaning it up. Like they clean we're gonna up reform, the mess, like, yeah, clean, the clean yeah. up Reagan's mess and then clean up Bush's mess and then But clean up clean up in quotations, which means welfare reform. Which means we're gonna hurt poor black and brown communities. Right, but it's because of so with Reagan like Star Wars, I guess, whatever. Whatever he spent money on. <laughs> Tax cuts in Star Wars. Mm, yeah. <laughs> That's what I learned in, <laughs> in history class. Um and like, you know, obviously Bush was just a hot mess. Um so they turned it around though, but like by the end, like if you think about the end of Clinton and the end of Obama, not saying what they did was all gravy, but that has been the pattern of like the Democrats are like the adults in the room that have to like clean it up, play by the rules, are pro democracy, cry all the time. <laughs> yeah, but let's like look where look where that got us. The ACA, the Affordable Care Act. We just don't have a lot of like bulldogs, I guess. Like, are people that like know. we need to play by the Republicans' know. rules? Like we can't like we're, Democrats are like, oh, I want to have this moral high ground. It's like where has that got us? That's not politically strategic. Like look at what the the, the Republicans won the Supreme Court. They've packed the courts because they have been more strategic than we have. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Okay, all of that to say is that, <laughs> one, I feel good about the map. So, if you are in a key state of, say, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas, Colorado, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for voting, and thank you for doing all of the work to get your friends and family to vote, because it'll be, it, it's one of the most important efforts that you could be part of the cycle, and in history. Um, the other thing I want to just mention quickly is, um, so there is an, a, a national effort should Trump contest the results. So say Biden wins the popular vote and he wins the electoral college, Trump could still call foul, right? We've mm-hmm. seen that. It's from a historical perspective, it's, it's been very, um, striking to, to read about, uh, coups that have happened in other countries and mm-hmm. how popular, how social movements have quelled these have have totally eliminated, you know, stopped these coups in their tracks. Um, and so I need I need all of you that maybe aren't as politically inclined as Anna and I to understand that should this happen, we need everyone out in the streets. I'm going to repeat that. If Trump contests the results and it's clear that Biden has won via, well, in the media you watch, it's very different, right? But you have got to be out in the streets because mm-hmm. anytime these type of regimes and administrations have contested the results in any of these countries, the only reason it has been stopped is by by popular demand, by people protesting, normal, everyday people going out into the street and saying, we are not going to stand for this. 
Mm-hmm. And so I'm asking all of you that should this happen, there are events taking place all across the country, and we need you to do your democratic duty by standing up to this fascist regime. Mm-hmm. And a lesson from 2000 is the amount of lawyers that were involved, and the Republicans were just quicker to the draw on the amount of well and they also like the brooks brothers riots right so in 2000 during gore versus bush in florida which was a very contested race obviously they they bust in republic white republican operatives into these districts and and like through they threw fits at the election administration offices Mm -hmm. and that's what my organization is part of as well as you know a massive coalition of groups which is like we need people to do the same thing. You have been protesting for for four years. We need you to stand up and make noise should this be, because otherwise Republicans, they're going to play dirty. It doesn't matter Mm -hmm. if Biden wins a popular vote or wins the Electoral College. They will will try everything in their power to keep Trump, right? Especially if they lose the Senate. So I'm just asking all of you that think like, and I guess it goes back to you not thinking you're doing enough, just by putting your body out in a street during an event when Trump has contested these results and we need you to stand up for our democracy, like, it, it, is, it is a matter of life and death for people. Yeah. It would be amazing to see. I mean, hopefully he doesn't do anything. I would not be surprised, but, like, pro-democracy. Movement. Pro-democracy yeah. movement. I think it's needed. I think that it will acknowledge, like, the authoritarian leaning that has happened and, like, a lot of people haven't really acknowledged that. I mean, I guess in our circles and, like, in the news and whatever, but, like, who cares? You know, that's not really, like, we're not really feeling that immediately. And so there hasn't really been that much about voting either. I guess, like, I'm seeing a lot more get-out-the-vote stuff than than usual. But what have polling places been like? Have you seen any kind of... I mean, like, there's reports of... Intimidation. White, yeah. Like, I mean, like, I, I know there's like militias or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And like that's very real. And so, yeah. you know, part of my part of my work the, this next week, these next few days is making sure that people feel safe and like mm-hmm. if there's space to show up, to show up. But I mean, it's a very scary time we live in. But that's the whole point of like there there is there's power in 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 masses, right? Like mm-hmm. we need everyone. It's not just like Anna and I who show up to, you know, protest. It's like, we need you, like our listeners who listen to us and like, listen to us. Yeah. Go on and <laughs> go on, on and on and on, and on about like, politics. Uh, can you, can we all like, please hold signs that say like, let's go democracy. <laughs> like, I mean, just like, show up, you know? Yeah. And I, and I, I ask all of that of you, you know, who have made, you know, who have stood up and, have done your part, who felt like you've done your part, There, we just need you to stand up should this happen. And I need everyone to understand that, like, there could be, there. Trump could try to attempt a coup. I mean, that, like, this happens in countries all the time. It's just we have mm-hmm. been very lucky as Americans to not have this on our own turf. Mm-hmm. Although the United States, and I wanted to do this as an episode, but the United States has staged multiple coups in lots of countries across the uh, across the world, and we will I dig into some, that another I time. I have some. I have a funny story. I'll tell you. Later. I'll save it for. I'll save it. Save for it the pot. pot. Save it for that pot. So grits gratitude. Oh my god! Yeah, we're already in an hour. Oh my god! What are you grateful for? Um, let's see. I'm gonna I'm gonna give a, a shout out to all my Texas peeps. I think our, mm-hmm. our biggest breeders. Well, you have a lot of friends in Texas too. Maybe it's our friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah I just I'm Texas. I'm really grateful. Um, a few of my friends from college, like Sarah Beach and Lisa Meggs, um, you like especially those two who live in Austin. I have seen them use every single tool in their toolkit to expose what's happening and to and for folks to take action. And I just I'm really grateful uh, for all the effort. Um, and I know, you know obviously it's a little part of it, but just make you know taking a stand and doing your due diligence and you know <laughs> texas is a toss-up like that's all i'm gonna say and so to all my exes that live in texas not you but all my friends i'm very <laughs> grateful for all your support what are you grateful for mine is pretty similar um i thought of it when when you said your texas thing uh we were kind of going through my facebook right before <laughs> Right before oh we God. started recording, um, it's just a it's just interesting because it's mostly it's a handful of people from college, but it's mostly family and um, and friends from back home. And there are some people doing the Lord's work on Facebook um, just by calling into question uh, the Supreme Court nomination, 
kind of things around this election, some of the rhetoric from Trump and, um, you know, I don't want to introduce my kid, you know, I don't want my kids to listen to Trump on the TV. Like even saying stuff like that, it's like, it's like that's really changing the rhetoric and changing the conversations around the election and they're getting in in fights in the comments. And I wouldn't recommend that for most people, just like for preservation of. (laughs) But you and I aren't doing that on a daily basis. No, no, no. I never, I literally never do that. Um, because I have different channels of, to educate, I guess, um, or different outlets, but, and I just can't bring that into my personal life. It's just, it would be exhausting. Um, but I, I truly, truly, truly admire everyone in Louisiana and everyone from Louisiana who is continuing to put opinions out there and to put, um, their beliefs and their morals and back it up with evidence and, and (laughs) cite, cite articles and, and they're fighting with literally, I don't want to, I shouldn't even go there, but, but, but they're, but they're doing, um, work that, and also it's people that I know for sure. I was very politically active in high school and very outspoken, very similar to how I am now. And they weren't. (laughs) So it's just, it's taken them what a decade. (laughs) It's funny. Yeah. It's funny to see the evolution and wow, that we've gotten to this point where like, Nice girls from Louisiana have to get in a Facebook comment by. <laughs> but thank you, thank you, thank you. I can't wait till there's a country song. Louisiana <laughs> girls getting into a Facebook fight. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, well, everyone, uh, so this will be released on Saturday. Thank you so much for voting. If you have already, uh, please go out and vote if you haven't. And, uh, this has been, this has been a ride. This has been a ride. Um, (laughs) and we're grateful for all of you and just know that as much as you are able to do, you are doing your part for our democracy in this country. Um, and for those of us in politics, we really appreciate it. Yeah. We'll see y'all on. All right. See ya. (laughs) Woo. All right. Adios. Bye. Thank you to our griddles and our family at the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Be sure to check out the other podcasters in the network who are doing the Lord's work in the state of Tennessee. Find the good stuff at www.tnholler.com and be sure to subscribe and support the holler while you're there. Follow the holler to keep up with what's going on here in the state at the TN Holler on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And follow Grits at Grits Podcast. Keep it gritty!